It was nine years ago that Jimmy, along with the session of elders, introduced the Grace Venture Challenge to us. Live more simply. Give more sacrificially. Accomplish the Great Commission. And at that time, when the Grace Venture Challenge was introduced, it was recognized that that ultimately, what we were embarking upon is a culture change. As we, as this congregation, lived more simply, so that we could give more sacrificially in order to accomplish the Great Commission, our decisions would be influenced by the mission of God to redeem people from all nations through Jesus Christ. And we understood that these decisions would come in in all flavors and all styles. They, um, They would be lived out encouraging each other to greater and greater grace venture lifestyle. Now, interestingly, over these nine years, as I've interacted with with missionaries, with um, other mission pastors throughout this city, with missiologists, any time the Grace Venture Challenge becomes a part of the conversation, here's what basically happens. They, They pause in the conversation. They ask me to repeat that. And then they ask permission to write it down. It resonates with them. I've also noticed over the last few years that some pastors with with national audiences have have written some books. And, And in essence, the idea that they're communicating in these books really coincides with our Grace Venture Challenge. Two of those, and I would commend them to your nightstand to read, would be Radical and Crazy Love. All of that to say that the Grace Venture Challenge is a timely challenge. It fits who we are. Now, two years ago at the Missions Conference, we introduced to you the change in our mission structure. We went from three mission committees to one strategic mission committee, the Grace Venture Strategy Committee. It's made up of elders, of staff, and of lay people. And and they give a strategic oversight to everything that we're doing here missionally. But also, two years ago, we introduced MITs, Ministry Initiative Teams. That's, That's you. That's you casting a vision and rallying others and getting out of the shire to go and see God work, to to see God's gospel proclaimed. It was two years ago that Jimmy coined the phrase, out of the shire. Really, that that phrase, it comes out of the movie Lord of the Rings. It's It's another way to express. It's another way to drive home the grace venture message. Get out of the shire. Move away from that which is known and safe and comfortable and convenient. And be willing to move to something that's, that's a bigger risk. And it's in that risk where we encounter God 
in a deeper way. So, this morning, what I would like to do is evaluate where are we. I'd like to give a state of the congregation. When it comes to the Grace Venture Challenge, how are we doing? Where are we in getting out of the Shire? Okay, John, before you do that, uh, surely some of these convictions of yours have, have arisen from the Scriptures. That is, um, that, that God has spoken to you in terms of your whole ministry through His Word. Is, is, is there such a place um, that, that drives you? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, if you've got a copy of God's Word... Turn to Matthew chapter 16. I want us to consider this morning Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. I believe actually in this verse there is is a grid that we can evaluate ourselves as a church under. You follow along as I read. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told His disciples... If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now there are four criteria, four ideas that I want to pull out of the text this morning. But before I actually do that, I I want to show you, I want to point something out contextually here that, that I think will help us connect even more to what Jesus is saying in verse 24. Uh, Jesus is is in a dialogue with his disciples. Um, Look back at verse 15 of the same chapter. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And then Simon Peter responds to Jesus' question in verse 16. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ the Son of the living God. Now, when Peter says that phrase, when he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that, that, that phrase, that, that, that title, Christ, is, is a full title. And what Peter, in essence, is, is communicating is that he understands that God is up to something. Uh, back in Genesis chapter 1, God has created uh, Adam and Eve. And then verse 28 says, and he blessed them. Now, in our culture today, we have lost sight of this term, bless. It's become this cutesy little term that means very little. But biblically, when in in Genesis God reveals that he blessed Adam and Eve, he endowed them with ability and authority to be what he had designed, what he had created them to be, to glorify God and to subdue and rule the earth. Well, sin enters and mars that, and God promised that he would send a Savior, that he would send a Messiah, that he would send a Christ to rectify, to solve the problem of sin. And so when Peter says, you are the Christ, in essence, Peter is saying, I accept the goal of God. I understand and I buy into that God is redeeming humanity. And you, Jesus, are the one that God was going to send. Peter accepts the goal of God. Well, then jump down to verse 21, and Jesus begins to share further what's going to occur. 
From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus begins to unpack the method that God is employing to redeem people, to once again bless humanity. Now what's interesting is Peter, who moments earlier identified Jesus Christ as uh, Jesus as the Christ, The text says he pulls Jesus aside and he rebukes him. Uh, Hey, Jesus, uh, this I'm fine with where we're headed, but this whole business about suffering and dying and resurrection, you need to change that. You need to put that aside. This is not going to work. And in the strongest terms possible, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. Peter is accepting the goal of God but he's rejecting the method of God. Now, you and I, we love the goal of God too. Oh, forgive me for sin. Oh, redeem me. I love the concept of eternity with God. No more tears, no more sorrow. We we accept that. We buy into that. But like Peter, we oftentimes reject what God has called us to. Now, with that in mind, Jesus then lays out what he calls us to in verse 24. Let's consider that this morning. As we think about getting out of the shire, what are the requirements that Jesus lays out in verse 24 here for us to evaluate the state of our congregation? Four things I want to point out. The first is this. Getting out of the shire requires a choice. Again, look look back at the text. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me. Now, I want to point out two things. First, Jesus is speaking to, he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to his followers. He's talking to believers. And then that little word, if. It, it implies a choice. It implies that the disciples, Christians, believers, must exercise their wills. We are volitional creatures, and we make choices time and time again. I have three daughters. Um, When they were younger, several years ago, we would regularly have a a dinnertime conversation, and it would basically go something like this. One of my daughters with sweet little eyes and being as manipulative as they could with their body language, would look at me and go, Daddy, do I get dessert? And generally, in some way, shape, or form, my response would be, if you eat your dinner, then you get dessert. I establish the boundaries, I create the expectations, and now she is responsible to make a choice. She will either eat her dinner and therefore get dessert, or she will not eat her dinner and therefore not get dessert. She must exercise her will. In the same way, my brother and my sister in Christ, we have choice. Jesus has commanded certain things. He says, pray. As a matter of fact, he says, pray earnestly. Now, 
you're either going to pray or you're not. You have been commanded, I have been commanded to love others. As a matter of fact, even more specifically, we've been commanded to love our enemies. Now, we're either going to love others or we're not going to love others. Getting out of the shire, living a Grace Venture lifestyle, being a disciple of Jesus Christ demands decision. It demands choice. That's the first criteria. Secondly, if you'll look again at the text, getting out of the shire requires denying. Look back here. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Now, I've just read out of the English Standard Version, the ESV. Some of you may be reading out of the NIV or the New American Standard. And I actually like, there's an extra word in the English that they put there to um, translate the Greek. And I like that word there because I think in a better way it emphasizes the tense of the Greek here. And the word is must. He must deny himself. Y'all, when I read the ESV and we read let him deny himself, it almost seems like we kind of got an option. If it fits, deny yourself. That's not what the Greek says. It is a command. Must is imperative for us to understand that there. You must deny yourself. It is a command. Now, what does that mean? The best illustration comes out of Jesus' life himself. I want you to see this. Turn over to Matthew chapter 26. And look at verse 39 with me. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. This is Jesus before the crucifixion in the garden. And Jesus was denying himself. He knew exactly what he wanted. He did not want to bear the wrath of God for sin. But he denied what he wanted. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We... We must deny ourselves. We are commanded to deny ourselves. We are commanded to choose to do without what we want. We are commanded to choose to refrain from the gratification of our own desires. Now, today, what might that look like? That, that, that denying of ourselves comes in myriad shapes and forms. Let me quickly identify two of the most obvious. One is going to be money. Money is a way that we deny what we want. We, we refrain from gratifying our own desires. Since the Grace Venture Challenge was first given to this congregation nine years ago, million dollars. Now that is additional dollars above and beyond regular tithes and offerings. $1.8 million has come from this congregation to the Grace Venture Fund and all but about $20,000 of that 
is gone. It's been given away. That certainly is an example of denying ourselves. All right, a second pretty obvious way that we deny ourselves is our time. Time is a, is a tremendous and valued commodity in our lives. Since two years ago, we implemented this whole structure of MITs. There are 25 MITs that have been launched. 25 leaders in this congregation have stepped up, gone through the approval process, gathered a team, and begun engaging in our community and all across our globe and seeing the gospel proclaimed. And that takes time. People in our congregation have denied themselves and given up time to see the gospel proclaimed. So, getting out of the shire requires choice. Getting out of the shire requires denying. Thirdly, getting out of the shire requires a willingness to suffer. Again, go back to the text, verse 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. All right, two things I want to point out to you here. This, this verb, take up, that, that conveys the idea of extending and gripping and grabbing something and bringing it into close proximity to oneself. Taking up is grabbing and embracing. It is owning. And then Jesus says, your cross Now, this is before Jesus has actually died himself on the cross. But every one of these disciples knew immediately what he was talking about. The cross was a form of execution. It was um, uh, probably initially uh, designed in a barbaric clan. It was adopted by the Greeks and then the Romans and perfected, I think, by the Romans. It, it, It had some specifics to it. It certainly caused death, but it did that by inflicting the greatest amount of pain for the longest amount of time. So when Jesus looked at his disciples and said, take up your cross, they knew exactly that he was, he was challenging them to embrace, to own suffering, difficulty, and ultimately Death. A name that many of you all will know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor, I think illustrates this very well. When the Nazis became uh, or began to rise in power in Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, like many others, fled Germany. I think he actually ended up in the United States for a little while. But then Dietrich Bonhoeffer made the decision to return to Germany knowing full well that he was risking his life. Sure enough, in 1943, he was arrested and imprisoned. Spent time in a Nazi uh, uh, jail. Did some of his writing there. Suffered in the jail. And then in April of 1945, a few months before the end of the war, he was executed by the Nazis. Dietrich Bonhoeffer took up his cross. He was willing to suffer. Now, what does that say for you and I? Well, ultimately, we have to be know or, or wonder, are we willing to suffer? 
and certainly know that, that a willingness to suffer or even suffering or even martyrdom in no way, shape, or form improves our standing with God. That has fully been paid and bought by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. God can't love us any more than He already loves us. But at times, He calls us to suffer. He calls us to maybe even potentially martyrdom. But the reality is, in our congregation, martyrdom is not going to be the common. But what might be the common is suffering or difficulty or frustration as we choose to deny ourselves and engage out there, out of the shire. Let me try and even give an example by a few questions. Are you willing to go without some sleep so that you can pray earnestly for the lost and dying people that work and live next door to us? That is suffering. All right, fourthly, getting out of the shire requires that we follow. Again, go back to the text and look at how Jesus ends. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Two things I want to draw to your attention about this last phrase that Jesus gives, and follow me. It indicates, first and foremost, that there is someone who has blazed a trail. There is someone who has established the goal, the path, the values. And that someone, it's not you and it's not me. It's Jesus Christ. We have been called to follow Him, to follow His path. Uh, Layla and I, my wife, we've been married for 18 years, and on our 10th anniversary, uh, we decided to go backpacking. I know, very romantic. It was her idea, and I jumped on it very quickly. But we went backpacking over in Arkansas for a few days on the Ozark Highlands Trail. It's a great trail, beautiful area. It's a well-marked trail. It's a well-worn trail. And every so often, you see this white diamond blazed on a tree or on a stake in the ground. And it tells you where to go. Now, Layla and I had to walk. But we followed the path set out before us. We are to follow Jesus Christ is the one who has established the path. He establishes the goal. He establishes our value system. He's the one that determines how we are to live out our lives. We are required to follow what he has established. We go where he has gone. You know, in, in, in our culture, there's, there's kind of a phrase, and I may get it wrong here, but we're the captain of our own ship. Do you realize how unbiblical that is? I am not the captain of my ship. Jesus Christ, because he has bought me with his blood, he is the captain of this ship. I follow where he goes, where he leads. So, getting out of the shire, living a grace venture lifestyle, it means that we must make choices. It means that we deny ourselves. It means that we must be willing to suffer 
suffer for the benefit of another. And ultimately, it means that we follow Jesus. Okay, John, then, then summarize for us um, what you think is, is God's application, is God's message for this congregation. What would you say? I, I want to do that in two ways. I want to I speak for a few moments corporately. And then I want to speak individually. What... What does this this text, what does it call us to? What does it mean? Well, if we think corporately for a few minutes, if we evaluate the Grace Venture Challenge, live more simply, give more sacrificially, accomplish the Great Commission, I stand here and state to you today that that is a biblical challenge. That Grace Venture Challenge pleases our Lord Jesus Christ. It fits. It's right. It's good. And the fact that we allow that challenge to begin to influence our decisions from the elders to the staff to you as a congregate member is good and right. And we need to continue to do that. We need to allow this Grace Venture Challenge, this get out of the shire, to to indwell us even more, to shape our decisions even more. With, With confidence, I stand before you today and say right now, if there were an additional million dollars in the Grace Venture Fund, The Grace Venture Committee has already identified and established places. We've vetted things. We could give away another million dollars right now with great confidence that it is going to places that are doing the work of God in our city and on the other ends of the globe well. I want you all to know that this Grace Venture Committee works hard. It's made up of elders and staff and lay people. And they have strategically begun to evaluate all things missionally. And look, those decisions can be difficult because it's not evil versus good decisions. It's good versus best decisions. It's trying to take in a a picture of what God is doing all across the globe and invest our Dollars, really, let me, let me correct myself, and invest God's dollars that he has given us to be a steward of in the best possible way. As a matter of fact, there, there's several things that, that I even want to share with you that are realities around the globe that are, that are important for us as we make decisions with our money. It's estimated that there are, and let me back up, the Grace Venture Committee They have these things running through their minds as they're evaluating between good and best ideas. It's estimated there are 7 billion people that live on our planet right now. 1 billion people live on less than $1 a day. I'm going to repeat that. It is estimated that there are 1 billion people that live on our planet, that right now, as you and I sit here and we speak, every breath, every morsel is a battle and a fight to get. A billion people live on less than a dollar a day. 
Another reality around the globe, and there's actually a phrase that I saw a few months ago in a missional blog, it's called theological famine. Um, My youngest has grown up here at Grace Savannah. Actually, all my children have. Uh, She's in fifth grade. And the reality is the training that she has received through Amazing Graceland and sitting under uh, the preaching here at Grace Savannah, that training makes uh, makes it that she is actually more qualified or has more theological training than many, many pastors throughout the world. There is, there exists a theological famine in our world today. And many believers do not have the privilege of theologically trained pastors. And there are new ways with technology that that some of those issues are being addressed and met. You know, um, another reality that, that exists, we're commanded to proclaim the gospel to the nations, all corners of the globe. And as never before, God in His sovereignty has brought the nations here. You work near them. You live by them. You know the nations. Here's the reality. If we could gather up $10 million right now, and we had somebody from Grace of Anne who is willing to go to the country of Somalia, we could not get them there. And yet, tomorrow morning, in these halls... There will be a Somalian refugee cleaning our building. The nations are among us. We have a greater opportunity to proclaim the gospel to the nations right here in our neighborhoods, at our jobs, in our city. Are we seizing that? All right, lastly, for a few moments, let me, let me speak individually. Corporately, we've got the right vision. We're headed in the right direction. May God continue to steer us and shape us. But individually, let me speak to you eye to eye. As a pastor here at Grace Evangelical Church, as a pastor that loves you, that desires to see the best for you, I would do a disservice if I did not say if I did not lovingly point out to to you that we have only begun, only begun to exercise the sacrificial muscle. $1.8 million, praise God in heaven above that He has given us the privilege to sacrifice to that amount for kingdom purposes. But may we, as followers of Jesus Christ, with great purpose, learn to sacrifice even more. And let me, let me speak to that briefly. If you go back to those four criteria, the first one, getting out of the shire, living the grace venture lifestyle, requires a choice. I want to challenge you. I want to plead with you today. Take 10 minutes. Take 30 minutes. Open your Bible. Meditate on Matthew 16, verse 24, and you ask your God, what would you have me do? Show me. And may He, to a greater degree, challenge us to get out of the shire. Let me me pray for us.
Father, we acknowledge that everything we have is from you and it's for you. Father, you have called us to proclaim your gospel here and over there. And we long to be a people that do that to a greater and greater degree. Would you, Holy Spirit, convict us, encourage us, um, inspire us to live more simply so that we can give more sacrificially, so that we can have the privilege of being a part of seeing the accomplishment of the Great Commission to your glory and in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.